When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Namaste, Welcome to Namaste, Motherfuckers, the only podcast where the worlds of work, comedy, and well being collide. The podcast where the life changing stuff happens. I'm your host, Callie Beaton, and this episode is called Blue Peter's Most Haunted. And today's theme is ghosts. If you're new to the podcast, thank you so much for being here. We are loving how fast and furiously our Namaste motherfucking family is growing, and we've got some brilliant things planned over the coming weeks, so stay tuned. Meanwhile, back to today's theme ghosts. A Korean folk tale suggests the common cold originated when a prince with two penises couldn't find a wife with two vaginas. Eventually he died, became a ghost and fulfilled his lust in death by releasing himself into people's nostrils. I think we can all agree that is such a good fact. We could just really leave it there. If you ever are up this way in Cheshire or whatever, and you fancy a spooky evening? I'd love a spooky evening. That's today's guest, Yvette Fielding. Pond Square in North London is said to be haunted by a chicken that Francis Bacon tried to preserve in ice in 1626. I walk Jeff the dog around Pond Square a lot, about twice a week I'd say on average, so we shall keep a close eagle eye out. In the 1760s, 33 Cock Lane in London was believed to be haunted by a ghost called Scratching Fanny. Grow up. More people in the UK believe in ghosts than believe in God. And according to a recent survey, around one in four Americans believe they live in a haunted house. And a 2017 poll showed that Americans thought that Donald Trump was scarier than ghosts, vampires, mummies, witches, zombies and werewolves. And sadly, they were bloody right. But my autobiography is being written at the moment um, with uh, Martin Sterling. In 1987, Yvette Fielding became the youngest ever presenter on Blue Peter, aged just 18. Her trip on a roller coaster with fellow presenter Mark Curry was voted the favourite Blue Peter moment of all time by viewers. She continued to have a successful TV presenting career until in 2002 her husband, cameraman Carl Beatty, asked if she would spend the night in a haunted house with a camera crew. She agreed and so the monster hit that turned into Most Haunted was born. Yvette went on to present Ghost Hunting With, a paranormal show for ITV2, and is regarded by much of the nation as the first lady of the paranormal. In 2009, the documentary In Bed with Yvette and Carl charted her hysterectomy and recovery. She's the author of a series of novels for young teenagers, The Ghost Hunter Chronicles, and hosts a podcast, Paranormal Activity with Yvette Fielding. During our conversation, Yvette reveals a few unexpected things, including walking out on Blue Peter alongside Bonnie the dog and the scandal of Derek Cora, Most Haunted's notoriously discredited medium. Yvette and I also talked about fringes, farting, helicopters, ghosts, roller coasters, scandals, scepticism, dogs and death. But we started by talking hair. I love your hair and I like your pristine kitchen. Well, I love your hair and you may or may not know that occasionally when I put reels up, people go, you look just like Yvette Fielding. So you obviously aren't getting it the the other way around. (laughs) No, it's nice. If my profile were higher, they might be saying, Yvette, you look like Callie Beaton, but um, I get it this way around. Oh, it won't be long, love. It won't be long. (laughs) You'll be up there. You won't want to talk to me. 
I nice will, teeth as well. Look at those perfect teeth. Wow. I think my teeth must just look nice on Zoom because Jenny A. Claire spent a while admiring my teeth. When oh, I was it, to well, be. yeah. <laughs> yeah, they look fabulous. God, I wish I had that. Yours yeah. look very nice from here. And you've got are those Cubits glasses you've got there. Oh, I don't know what they are. I just, I just, they're, I love my glasses because I'm blind as a bat now. Oh, I think yeah. you reach a certain age and you just go, I can't see without anything anymore. <laughs> I'm just, honest to God, everything. I'm putting my, I'm, I'm, I look like an 80, 90 year old woman after I finish putting my makeup on. My mascara's over here, my lipstick's over there. It's just a mess. It's all going horribly wrong. But you can, you've only got, you've just got to laugh, haven't you, really? You're only marginally older than me. Let me just let the dog out one second there. Oh, I've got my dog in as well. Don't fart, Watson. Whatever you do, don't make a noise. I've left the door open so he can't make a fuss. Yeah, you're only a little bit older than me. You can't play the old card very much. You're only six months older than me. Oh, okay. well, you look fabulous. You look fabulous. And um, we are almost the same age. So, yes, of the same vintage. And I know what you mean. I had laser surgery done when I was in my 30s to correct my short-sightedness. But I still need my glasses for the old reading. So I'm this, I don't know if you're like this. I'm like trying to look, I was going to say trying to look at an A to Z, but we don't really use A to Zs. <laughs> I go back to the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> and I look at an A to Z like this. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. We, me and my husband, Carl, we were always laughing going, God, what did we do before sat there? A to Z. And then you used to plan, didn't you? You used to write your directions down on a, well, I did on a separate piece of paper and you'd have that. Because off I'd go with Blue Peter and you'd have to, you know, go sometimes meet the crew in the middle of bum bloody nowhere, you know. So you had to know where you were going. You had to study that map. Like, you wouldn't believe. But my backside looks like an A to Z roadmap now. It's, it's gone all a bit saggy. My thighs do. But that's a whole <laughs> other... That, this is a whole other episode. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to put that behind a paywall, event. We're not going to be showing our, our A to Z body parts for free. I'll tell you that for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Oh well it's so lovely to meet you. And are you is that your um is that your haunted Tudor hunting lodge that you're that you are broadcasting oh, from right there? <laughs> it is. It is, yeah. At the, we've just had we today we've just had new windows put in. So it's all I would show you around, but there's builders' materials all over the place. I've got a sleeping bulldog, so if there's any strange noises, not paranormal, it's my bulldog that likes to fart and burp. It's not me and it's not a ghost. Okay, yes. well I don't I can't guarantee it. It's not you, but I will accept that you're saying it's not the paranormal. I even before I had a dog, I was blaming my strange noises on a dog. So, um, but now there is an actual dog. So, so how who lives in that? Who lives in the in the haunted house? In the haunted house, myself, my beautiful husband Carl, our lovely bulldog Watson, uh, and our daughter comes home um, on leave and at weekends from the RAF um because she's she's old and grown up now she's not old she's 23 and she's in the RAF as a medic is she happy yeah. I've also got a 23 year old daughter so we've oh. got that also in common and yes. um, is we might be the same person with the fringe we could be the same the age the hair. Yes. The hair. red hair I was red before lockdown like yeah you. we're doubling up by day uh, queen of the night and by night a comedy queen so yes who knows um, no one's no, ever seen us that. in the same room have they We've both got wonderful teeth, darling. We have. So you've got um so you've got Mary sort of coming and get Mary's the name of your daughter, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so she's yeah. coming and going. What an amazing thing to be doing that in the RAF. What got her into that? She always wants to go in there. And I, I think I found a documentary and I went, Mary, I said, look at this. And she was only 12, 13 or something. And she just went, oh. and she actually starts shaking with excitement. That's what I want to do. Um, and so she's a medic at the moment. And then I think in a year and a half, she's going to re go back in. I don't know how they do it, but as an officer and she wants to train to fly helicopters. So fingers crossed. It's a long procedure and it takes years, but it's what she wants to do. And she was in a Chinook. She sent me a video of her in a Chinook. She was the medic. Um, when they do basic training with all the, the new recruits that come in, she's one of the medics that goes out with them to make sure that they're okay. And all these new recruits are terrified of the medics because if you injure yourself um, and the medic sort of says, oh, I'm sorry, you can't carry on, you've got to start basic training all over oh, again. So there's a lot of so power for the medics. Yeah. So they'll, they'll, they'll go, 
are you all right? Yes, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm absolutely fine. You know, half their arms falling off, you know, they just don't want to go to the medic. But Mary absolutely loves it. And she was in this Chinook with the with these young men and women, you know, and, and just absolutely loving it. She went, it's what I want to do. So I was like, great, as long as we don't have a war that we're involved in, I'm fine with that. Well, Prince Harry got about two chapters of a best-selling book out of him in his Chinook, so hopefully it might serve Mary equally well. Don't get me going on that, ma'am. Just don't let me get going. <laughs> okay, let's not let's not start on a rant. We can finish on one, but let's not yeah. get anyone aerated at this early moment. No, no, absolutely. Do you think he and do you think his and Meghan's place in California will be haunted? <laughs> I hope it bloody well is. I hope it's. Do you think Lizzie's? Do you think Lizzie's gone back over there? Do you think that's where she's oh, settled down? Yeah. Her ghostly oh, presence. Yeah. Oh, she's writing things in the steam of the bathroom cabinet. <laughs> well, you need to get over there. Get over there with a the camera crew. See what gives. A crucifix. I'll knock on the door with a crucifix. <laughs> Megan, just stop. <laughs> and did you talking of knocking on doors and and uh, arriving at places because you because we're a very similar age I know people talk about the theory of you know people say you were the youngest um, ever Blue Peter presenter which I know you were but for me because I was your age I was like holy oh, yeah. shit when you were doing that because you were my age and I barely felt equipped to you know, know how to kind of keep my homework journal going. It wasn't homework, but you, and there you were left home presenting a massive primetime show. So what, I know you've been asked about this before, but what's that like? It was horrendous. Was it? Because I'd have been homesick and wobbly if I were you. Well, yeah, it was the most amazing. It was like being told you know you you've I, I would imagine you've just won so many millions on the lottery oh my god you've been given the job of a lifetime because at the time there were only four tv channels it was a big deal and uh i just couldn't believe it i, I just gobsmacked that i'd actually got it and then the reality sunk in that i would have to live in london and the first job i had they sent me to moscow they sent me to russia for six weeks filming and I'd never been trained as a presenter. I'd only ever acted. So I, and they didn't give me any, any sort of leads on how to do it. It was an action. I was like a rabbit in headlights and I was so lonely and so homesick. And I, I had a very tough time for a year under the tutelage of, of Biddy Baxter. And um, it wasn't easy whatsoever. It was very, very hard. Um, and I actually, I actually walked out and quit because did I you? couldn't cope with it anymore. Yeah. So how long I, I into really it did. did that happen? A year, just coming up for for the first year towards the end of that. I mean, there are so many stories that I could tell you that would make your toes curl and your hair fall out. Oh, I mean, go on, tell me ridiculous. one. I haven't got much hair anyway. <laughs> um, let me think now. Um, they made me. Um, they made me move out of my flat that I had with my friends. And um, I was purely because I was told that I was so useless that I, the only good thing that I had going for me was I was good with Bonnie the dog. So I was to move into a house that they'd organized with a woman that I'd never met and move into her house by the end of the week with Bonnie the dog. And as you can imagine, it was like, but I, I've just found my feet. I found my, I've got this flat with my friends. Why would I, you will do that or else you're fired. So wow. I, I had to. Um, fortunately, it was with this wonderful, wonderful lady. I was so nervous about meeting her. And she used to be one of the continuity announcers for BBC One and Two. And now on BBC One, it's the six o'clock news. And her name was Roseanne. Well, my God. What a laugh. I mean, we got on so well. We had so many parties. Oh, my God. We had the police turn at once, but they joined in with a party. We had a conga line going around the street. Well, this all backfired on the wholesome Blue Peter intention, didn't it? You, Bonnie yeah, the dog, and yeah. whoever your landlady was, or doing God know. knows what with the Met Police. Yeah, but it was it was, it was, was hard. because At that moment, um, when that happened, I, I 
I remember walking up, we just finished a live show and I had the dog's dog, we were due to go off on a, on a, to film and I had to get to the station and I had all my bags in one hand and the dog lead in another with poor Bonnie at one end, who was pining for her real owner. And um, I just walked up to the bosses and I just said, I'm sick of being treated like shit. I said, you treat me like shit and you treat this dog like shit. I said, I'm out. I dropped the dog's lead, picked up my bags and walked out the studio. Two stunned faces. And then I got a phone call that night from the producers just basically saying, darling, we get the impression you're not very happy. What can we do to make it better? And from then on, it was it was lovely. It was it was absolutely lovely. And it, it's sad that it had to come to me doing that. But I was so quiet and so frightened of upsetting anybody or doing the wrong thing or... And I was so nervous because, you know, it, you had to get it right. There was no autocue. There were no earpieces. There was nothing. And then they changed the script literally minutes before on air. Relearn it. And, of course, you then you've got to relearn which camera you're looking into. And I was just a mess. I just couldn't. And it was too much. I think it was just too much. Um, and then, like I say, the next four years were just amazing and fantastic. And I had a, an amazing time. And do you think why do you think they were treating you? I mean, it was such a different culture. My first exposure to the BBC was actually ju just around that time, um, working with uh, what was her name? It was Anna Hume? Who was the person who was in charge? Yeah, Anna Hume. I worked with Anna Hume and did some stuff on some of the live action stuff, like Andrew oh, yeah. Davis things and some of that. I can't yeah. Remember. Um, yeah. So I was sort of in in that same orbit at that same time, and it was massively different culturally. But did you, what do you think it was? Do you think it was because you were obviously very young? Were they treating all the presenters like that? Or was it was it because they thought you, they were treating you differently because you were so young? It's because I was so young and so naive and so unworldly wise. I mean, I think I've been away, out, I think I've, I've been abroad twice before. Once when I, I can't even remember, I must have been four to Spain with the family. And the second time was with a friend uh, to Portugal and they had a villa and we just stayed in the villa. That was it. I never, I just, I was very, very family orientated and, you know, I was always with my family, but I wasn't prepared and I wasn't, I wasn't helped in any way. I was just left to my own devices. And that's, that was hard. That was really, really hard. And, um, and my nerves got the better of me. And I was constantly being told that I was shit. I don't remember you ever being shit on screen. And to be fair, as someone your age, maybe I would or would not have noticed the craft. But obviously, I don't I don't remember thinking anything other than that you were good at it. But I'm not not disputing you saying it didn't kind of come naturally at the beginning. But did you find then that you because you then did get your confidence. But when you look at it now, like we're mums of of daughters who've gone mm -hmm. recently gone through being that age and. My daughter moved to Amsterdam when she was 18 to study and even watching her and she's half Dutch, but even watching her live in another country at 18, not in halls of residence because they don't do that over there. I found that a massive wrench and I think it was a really big deal for her. So now as a woman our age, looking back at that's quite staggering for us, isn't it? To think that that's what you were going through. Yeah. And it's it, it helped my daughter when she was you know, got video footage of her, you know, with all her gear leaving us going into basic training at the RAF and thinking we're not going to see her because it was during COVID as well. So they weren't allowed to come home at the weekends. They were, she was there constantly, I think, for six weeks. And that was really hard. But all I kept saying to her was, listen, if I can, if I went through all of that for a whole year and come through the other side, you can do it too. You, you know, come on now. You And it helped her. She was like, right, if my mum can bloody well, you know have hard times then so can I and and it kind of helps you know a little bit but all of that and also you know the Biddy Baxter year which was awful I always say you know if it wasn't she made me she toughened me up yes you know she it was hard and yes she said the wrong thing and yes she did wrong things that were very hurtful um, and in today's society would not be accepted whatsoever but I thank her because, Jesus Christ, she made me hard to be able to go on and own my own production company and do the things that I've done and own businesses and, and, and do, you know, do all these things and travel the world. And I've come up against, 
lots of of uh, people in business that have kind of look at me and talk down to me and go, well, what you know, you're just a presenter. You know, what do you know? And I, and because of that strength and the balls that she gave me, I was able to f- push forward and make a success of it. So I do. I look back on that and I think, even though it was a nightmare and it was awful, but at the same time, she did me a bloody big favour. You know, so hats off to her, really. It's funny because children's TV at the time, I mean, it, it was TV was more sort of patriarchal then than it is now. And children's TV was one of the few areas that had quite a lot of women <laughs> running it, which probably was equally sexist because people would be like, oh, the women don't understand what the children want. But it was one of the only. And if you think about a character like Biddy Baxter, who to people our age was just a sort of iconic name. And even if you didn't know who she was, you saw her name on your telly screen, you know, mm-hmm, every day right, yeah. that Blue Peter went out. But actually very unusual to have a woman with that amount of power in an organisation as complex as the BBC when you think back at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I never understood the complexities of it, but I think Esther Ransom was around at the same time. I remember she was on Ring Main, because I don't know if you remember, but in the BBC, you had the monitors everywhere yeah, yeah. Like in the makeup room or whatever and sometimes you know during rehearsal the ring main the volume would be on and you could see what was going on if you're in studio eight you could see what was going on in studio one <laughs> I always remember watching Esther and going oh she was screaming or shouting at a researcher and and I thought oh my god oh my god so these women that had come up through the BBC I mean they took no shit from anybody yes. they were strong and I think because they had to be they had to be really strong you know show no mercy you know you didn't mess with them well you and obviously it did set you in good stead in the sort of tough love way because you've gone on to have an incredibly robust media career there aren't many people who manage to present and run a production company and write books and do everything from every angle and not just survive but thrive so that is an absolute testament I suspect (laughs) also to some to some grit that might have been in there to start with so I imagine you didn't go in as a jellyfish and come out like a roaring lion you probably had a bit of something or they would not have given you the job I'm guessing maybe maybe she saw something in me and I'm, I'm, uh, she said you know what that was maybe it was the grit I, I don't know but yeah I mean it's part of my life it's part of my history and I'm very glad that I lived through it you know and we'll always have that moment of you on the roller coaster with Mark Curry which I think must be oh where the screaming god. where you learned to scream so well yes I know <laughs> oh my god I stuffed the key the, the key in a machine that makes it go makes the machine makes the revolution go and uh, I remember they went, and we're going to go backwards now. And I, I, I don't know how I did it. We were having a break or something. Crap the key. And I went and I shoved it in my bra. I said, um, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> I said, if you think I'm going backwards, you'll have to get it out of my bra. Well, we had them all laughing and they went, no, we've got enough. The, just the scream on its own is, is enough. So we're fine with that. Did so you I keep it? Is the key that. still in your bra now, just in case they oh, make you go back? <laughs> it's rusted. <laughs> Yeah, you don't oh, want a key in your bra with a hot flush. That's oh, a terrible no. combination. No. <laughs> and that's the bit we all remember the most. But what's the bit what's the bit you remember the most? You must get asked this. Oh my god, I'm just trying to see if I've I i have not got oh there's a picture of Mary. Is that Mary in her um let's have a yeah. look? There's Mary. Oh look, God, that makes me feel emotional and she's not even mine. I know. Oh bless she's her gone. heart. Um I won't even attempt to put that back. I Who's that on the shelf below? Who's that um handsome Carl. man? Is that Carl? Let's have That's a look. Carl. He looks like James Bond in there, doesn't he? He's got oh. a real suave, you know, <laughs> on Her Majesty's <laughs> Service thing going there. Oh, when I first saw him, oh, my God. Did you meet? Because he was a cameraman, wasn't he? Yes, yes. We, I was doing a show called City Hospital on BBC One, and it was a live show, and it was all about the inner workings and what happens in a hospital. <laughs> and I, I, I saw this, this, this sexy being from God walking towards me in a pair of black, black jeans and a black long t-shirt, and he had the hair. And all. Oh my! I, I went, I went. Who is that? And they said, Oh, that's Carl. He's one of the new cameramen that's just come on. Well. Honest to God, I kept saying to the producers, will you just put him on everything that I do? God, he's just so gorgeous to look at. And they were going, oh, my God, Yvette, what are you like? Just ask him out. I said, I'm not asking him out. So they went up to him and said, please, for the love of God, will you ask him <laughs> out? She's doing our heads in. So he did. He asked me out. And three months later, he actually asked me to get married live on BBC. 
Oh my, he must have been pinching himself. Never mind you fancying Carl in his tight black jeans, but he must have been thinking, I'm doing all right here with Yvette Fielding. I mean, I think half the country wanted to marry you then. Oh, bless. Well, no, <laughs> that's so sweet. They, uh, he, when he first heard of me, he'd heard of Yvette Fielding, but he, he, the first item that we shot together, um, he said, oh, you're doing an item with Yvette. And it was in one of the hospital wards, but it was with one of the, you know, the dogs that they have, service mm -hmm. dogs for, you know, um, people with disabilities. And he assumed, as anybody would be, that they were going to have a, a vet there to talk about the dog uh... and this, that and the other. So we're standing around, I'm admiring him, thinking, oh, my God, <laughs> sexy. Oh, and uh, and he kept saying, "Where's to the to the director? When's the vet? When's this the vet? Uh, when's this vet coming?" And they went, "Well, she's here." She's here. Oh, you know that was it. So, so in another world, he could be living with a veterinary nurse, couldn't he? he Had it been, yeah. Nurse. It's awful. People call me a vet. I think. Well, has your dog got diarrhea? Stop calling me that. <laughs> Yvette. <laughs> yeah, it's quite straightforward, really, isn't it? Yvette. Yeah. Maybe it's yeah. maybe it's the name we know better. Are people still getting called Yvette nowadays? Do you think is that a noun now? Not really, I don't think. No. I always thought, I always thought, oh God, where did my dad get that from? A Parisian hooker? Where, what, what's that? <laughs> Do where you know did where he, he did, where did he get it from? Hope it wasn't a Parisian hooker. That'd be <laughs> awkward, wouldn't it? <laughs> I know. I think my grandmother, who is um, no, sadly, no longer with us, but she's from Syria, and in Homs, and uh, she uh, spoke French fluently, um, and she wanted me to be called Colette, and my dad loved. French, the French, I wonder why. And um, yeah, so they both sort of like, oh, shall it be Yvette or Colette? And so they settled on Yvette. So like, your grandmother was Syrian. Yes. But moved to the UK. Yes, she met my grandfather, who was a sergeant in the Cheshire Regiment during World War II. He was over in the Middle East. He was there in the desert doing wow. that horrific, awful fighting. And my grandmother was there with the Red Cross she couldn't speak a word of English, but she was going around helping the injured in the tents and all the rest of it. And um, my grandfather was there just having a rest in one of the tents and he saw her and she saw him and that was it. And then he brought her over to um, to England and she found it so hard to fit in because sadly nobody would accept her. And so she found that very hard, it was very upsetting for her. Um, anyway, eventually she was fluent in English um, and um, yeah and uh, they had five children um, and lots of grandkids and 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 that's that but they all but then they traveled around my granddad stayed with the army and they traveled all around the Middle East in fact I think all my aunties and uncles bar one were born in like Bethlehem Jerusalem all really? over the place yeah. so there's a real wanderlust in your family isn't there for and now your daughter following on with that sort of adventurous yes. spirit and you also yeah. seem to specialize in incredibly romantic meetings because you had the movie style battlefield meeting you had the you and Carl on the sort of tv set falling in love at the cameras <laughs> in the hospital yeah. if I was having a sort of movie version of the generations I'd be quite happy with your family for the storylines <laughs> so the pressure's on your kids to have very romantic stuff. I know I'm hoping so come on now yeah because you've got an older one as well so you've got your daughter and you've got an older son is that right yeah so Will he's a musician he's married now and lives in LA um and thank goodness for FaceTime you know it's just it's so hard isn't it but yeah so he's off doing his music and he's happily married doing his thing and you just got to let them go and off you go you know I've done it's weird isn't it it's the only job you do where the better you do it the more likely you are never to be needed again um, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a weird one isn't it you're like I must have done really well because I've never seen mine yeah it's so funny because I, I've often heard this and it's so true that girls will stay where the mother is you know when they're older and get married Oh, very loud motorbike just went past. Um, girls will stay where the mother is, but the sons will always go where the wife's family is. Um, and, and apparently that's, I've spoken to quite a few people. Oh my God, yeah, that's so true. That's interesting. Well, mine's in Madrid, my daughter. So I'm hoping that you're right. And that at some point she'll gravitate a bit nearer oh, yeah. to home because she's, Definitely. I love her having the life she has, but I miss her like I'm missing an arm, quite often, which I know you'll relate to if you've got Mary yeah, up in the absolutely. RAF. It's, yeah, 
it's when hard. she comes home oh my god it's we get so excited you know it's ridiculous just love it so much um as you do your kids but you watch especially when your daughter um you know if she has a baby or anything like that gets pregnant it she'll want her mum to be nearby so well, she's bloody want... better after that or i'll be playing her this podcast going now listen something something's awry with you because i have it on good authority oh, <laughs> you're yeah. supposed to need me at this point in your life yeah so. she will she will she'll come home i hope so well i like the fact that she will namaste motherfuckers namaste but I do want to obviously talk to you about ghosts because I can't have you want to not talk to you about ghosts, <laughs> the cult figure that you are, um, which sounds more dismissive than I mean to be because you know you're you're much loved um, oh. and take and taken seriously. But um, but but going, but I just because I was such a Blue Peter fanatic with my badge and everything. Is there a moment that you'd remember from your Blue Peter time, as opposed to the one where you went in and threw Bonnie the dog at them and said "fuck your job"? Is there a happier moment <laughs> that you remember? <laughs> um i suppose again this is great for mary i was trained how amazing is this i went to hms cold rose in cornwall with the navy and they trained me on the seeking helicopter simulator um so i did that and i passed the simulator test and then i got to fly a real seeking helicopter it was the most amazing experience experience I've ever had in my entire life it was just I couldn't believe that I was in charge of this massive piece of equipment and yeah it was it was incredible and the the navy was so amazing with me and so kind and so patient and so trustworthy yeah <laughs> I mean, it was it was incredible. I mean, I, I would have loved to have seen the insurance paperwork on that one. You know, it was and, and just just phenomenal. The, all the things, you know, I've got to, you know, um, train with <laughs> with the British bobsleigh team in Germany where I actually did. We I, I remember I remember that episode and how yeah. terrifying that looked. It was absolutely terrifying. But the second shot, the wide shot isn't me. It's the director who's like six foot tall and six foot wide, which made us howl with laughter. Because it was just like, it doesn't... It, By way of a body double, that's quite insulting. Yeah, but we were laughing. I mean, you could not laugh. And we became really firm friends. The Bob's, I don't speak to, I've not spoken to them for years. But when I was at Rosanne's, that party, they turned up. Did they? <laughs> yeah, it was great. <laughs> it was fabulous. Uh, all the people that just, I, I, I love people. I love energies. I love just being around happy people and making other people happy. And it was just, you know, when you meet people, you just go, oh my God, we get on so well. I have such a great laugh. And and I try and keep in contact with them. And come on, we're having a party. You gotta come and have a great time and love all of that. And yeah, so I have had the most amazing experiences on, on that show. I, I was very, very lucky. But most Blue Peters presenters will tell you that because they do have fantastic opportunities. Is it um, at the time at which you were flying that helicopter laden with with misplaced or not trust of the naval personnel around you? Um, did you have a driving license by then or were you learning to fly a helicopter before you'd learned to drive? Uh, no, I was I, as soon as I could. I, I wanted to pass my driving uh, I want to pass the test as quickly as I could. So I passed it, I think, when I was 17, straight away. Oh, God, yeah, I needed, I needed to. Because you could have been running the country by the time you were 19 and a half. <laughs> and in fact, maybe in retrospect, it would have saved us a whole lot of grief if you had been. Oh, my God. And do you, in terms of the um, what people kind of know you for now, when people sort of are excited to meet you or see you, you know, on a train or whatever, is, is it more because of your paranormal, most haunted ghosty stuff or is it more for Blue Peter or does it, I guess it's it depends both. on the demographic, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does for both really. I suppose, yeah, younger people will will know about the most haunted and older people will sort of, that's a mixture, you know, of the paranormal and of Blue Peter. And some people even remember me from the first thing I ever did, which shocks me. They go, oh, I remember you from Sea View. Which yeah, because you were in a children's drama, yeah. weren't you? And that's how you um, got into Blue Peter. That's right. Yeah, I and remember. I'm like, that really shocks me because it's the last thing I would expect them to to know me from, you know. So, uh, yeah, it was, it, 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 I love it. I love meeting people, especially people that love the paranormal because they get the phones out and they go, look, I took a picture of a ghost. What do you think? And then we'll be spooling through all the pictures. And, and we do this amazing thing. It was Carl 
Carl's idea, where when people were going on to ghosts now, but when people talk about Most Haunted, because it was a television show, people go, oh, it's faked. And because Ofcom had to have this thing. Yeah, they did a regulation, didn't they, about it being an entertainment programme, yeah, not to be taken which, as a serious investigation. I remember. It me off no end, especially after Derek Acora left. I was just like, I, this... So oh tell us God. about the Derek Acora, for anyone who doesn't know the story. So Derek, tell us tell us what happened and how it so came to Derek, that Ofcom ruling. Yes, so Derek, um, I first met Derek when I was doing shows for Granada, which is sort of like a production company in the northwest of England, um, home to begin with Coronation Street, for those people who'd never heard of Granada before. And we were and doing... one of the biggest component parts of ITV, because I worked yeah. for Carlton Television and then Carlton oh, and yeah. Granada merged yeah. and that was yeah. most of That's ITV. It. Yeah. yeah. So um, we were doing a, a show. Um, I was doing other shows. And then the main presenter of, of this psychic show had gone sick. And they said, would you step in? And I said, yes, of course. Anyway, the psychic was Derek Acora. And I was wowed by him. I was like, he was picking people out of the audience and saying, oh, you know, I've got your grandmother here and blah, 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 blah. And we spitted guy Sam coming through. And I'd never seen anything like this before. And I thought it was fascinating. Meanwhile, Carl and I, had we were ready to shoot the pilot and we were looking for a medium so uh anyway we chose Derek and um and for the first series everything was fine and we really really were believed it we really did and then <laughs> things started to go off kilter when basically as you know when you leave a radio mic on you need to go to the toilet it's protocol that you turn the radio mics off. Well, when we were on certain locations, we noticed that there was a pattern happening where Derek would suddenly go, Do you know, Evie, I'm not getting anything through. And my stomach's really hurting me. I'm sorry, everybody. Can we stop filming? I've got to go to the toilet. It's a spirit. It's a spirit. And he'd go to the toilet. And this was happening more and more and more. And then he'd come back, seemingly just knowing everything about the history. And the sound guy said, sound guy said he said, I'm ever so sorry. He said, but... He said, I've, I've, I've become a bit suspicious of this. He said, so I left the mic on. I said, and uh, you need to listen to this. And it was him making phone calls to family and friends saying, I'm not such a sort of place. Give me the information on it. And I was going more for the fact he had a coke habit, but it was him uh, faking it. So he'd be calling, calling to get the information yeah. and then coming yeah. in saying he'd received the information via otherworldly channels. Yes. And then um, we told the channel his behaviour was becoming more erratic when he was allegedly possessed to the point where he was actually attacking members of the crew and hurting them. Oh, God. He was the last draw when he came. I mean, he was very violent towards me. Um, but I wasn't scared of him at all. I just thought, go on then, try it. You on. had Biddy Baxter having given you boot <laughs> camp. You were I taking did. all comers. I had copper ball. I had steel balls. I bet you did. And uh, yeah, so, but the worst, he actually attacked a makeup lady and and was and strangled her. Wow. Um, and then the crew wrote a letter to us, myself and Carl, saying we we no longer want to do Most Haunted if Derek's on it because we fear for our safety. We don't know what's going on. Why is he behaving like this? Blah, 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 blah. We went to the channel and the channel bosses. This uh, was living back then, wasn't yes, it? Yes, it yeah. was, yeah. And, um, and the channel bosses well, like, oh, okay, well, you need to, and we said he's fake. And he said, well, we need proof that he is. So he um, had a sort of like, he had a, some people that would be with him, like a driver and um, uh, other people that would come along with him. And, um, we, the you know, the crew, uh, producers, um, I wasn't involved in it, but they would be talking between themselves so that their his entourage could hear it and they'd say things like oh yeah um we're in Audsall Hall in Salford oh yeah you're kidding you're kidding my god I can't believe the bible was actually written here this is incredible you sure this is right blah 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 lo and behold you won't believe this Ivy but I can see monks writing I can see monks writing yeah they wrote the Bible here. I said, so you mean to tell me? I was didn't know about it. So you mean to tell me, I said, that you think the Bible was was written in Salford? Yeah, that's what I'm getting. And then it got from bad to worse where people were actually leaving pieces of paper down with false information on there. And then the piece of paper would go missing. And then he'd come out with that information. Mm -hmm. And that, so then we went to the channel and went, here's your proof 
Ofcom regulations, you can't, you now know that he's fake. Come on, you've got to do something about this. He's violent. Da, 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 da. So they took him off. They took him off the show, but they gave him his own show. Um, and just I, kick the can down the road, as often used to be the way in those days. Yeah. Just move the so problem gave, to the next yeah. watch. Yeah. So they gave him his own show, and I think that lasted a series and it didn't come back. Um, and it was very sad because. I felt, you know, we, we'd been lied to, you know, and we'd been taken in and we felt stupid for believing it. And it took us many years to get away from that. It's fake, it's fake, it's fake. Because Derek was the one that was, you know, there was a piece written in the mirror, I think it was, Most Haunted Fake. But when you read the piece, it was about how we found Derek out to be mm -hmm. a fake medium. Um, so it took us an awful long time and we don't use mediums now, haven't used mediums for many, many years. I'm not saying all mediums are fake. By far, there are some very genuine ones sure. out there. But it's not a part of the format since then. No. And yeah. since then, no. And it's and it works well with without a medium being in it. Um, and so that that those um, there's so many experiences with him. And I feel I, I did feel sorry for him at the end because I just thought, you know, I think what happened was he was under so much pressure perhaps to perform and do this, you know, I've got the spirit guide, Sam here. And I just think he knew Doesn't that work it wasn't like that. And it, yeah. And I think, you know, it, the pressure was on him and I think he lost control. And I, I, I did feel sorry for him in the end. I really did. What's he doing now? He's deceased. He's passed on. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, you yeah. might find him, you might find him in another realm. <laughs> I don't think he'd want to come through and talk to me, um, you know, but it'd be interesting. I think, I think, uh, yeah, interesting, isn't it? And it, it, I was under a lot of pressure when he did die for me to do some sort of statement about how sad I was that he'd passed on. And I said, I can't be a hypocrite. Yeah. I said, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. Yes. I said, I feel sorry for his family because it's a loss and everybody's hurt. And I think I did see, you know, send on our, you know, uh, wishes, uh, you know, thoughts and prayers to his family, which is true. But I couldn't say what a wonderful man he was and how lovely and spiritual he was. And when for me personally, I saw things and witnessed things that weren't like that at all. Yes. Weren't like that one bit. But so yeah, people I, come out of the woodwork, don't they, at funerals or when a public figure dies and suddenly every, they were everyone's best friend and everyone loved them and they were wonderful and all these stories. And you're thinking, no, Deirdre was awful. No one liked her. Everyone avoided her down the co-op. But suddenly saintly qualities are bestowed upon the dead. Exactly. So I yes. applaud you for not following that tried and tested track. Yeah. Yeah. And do you, because with the, with the ghostly stuff, I wish I could remember the name of it, you might even know but I stayed in a hotel in Aberdeen uh last year that's a quite famously everybody thinks it's haunted Ooh, it's producer Mike talk to you from beyond the grave not really but I'm just jumping in here to let you know the place that Callie is talking about is Norwood Hall I've never, just cards on the table, remotely believed in such things. But that night, I arrived quite <laughs> late at night and I took, a, I had to wait in a big sort of old fashioned, it was a beautiful old fashioned hotel. Anyway, I took a picture of this chair and the fire and everything and a little video while I was waiting to be let, you know, seen at reception. And then I sent it through to the guy I was seeing at the time. And it's bad, I can't remember the name of the guy I was seeing or the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> So, I live a life of that, let me tell you. Um, so anyway, I sent him this, the video and he said, what's that in the video? Anyway, and there was this weird sort of white thing that was sort of leaping across the... Anyway, I looked at it and I thought, oh, that is weird. And I sent it to a couple of other people. They went, no, that's weird. And then, um, anyway, then then the guy I was seeing sent a thing saying, don't don't Google the hotel. I said, are you joking? And he went, no, I'm just pissing around. Anyway, next, I had a horrible night, felt very eerie and odd, and I'm a very unspooked person. I live on my own in an old house, and I'm not worried about such things ever. And I just had an eerily weird night. And then the next day Googled it, and it turned out it's one of Scotland's most haunted hotels. So after that, a tiny bit of me thought, oh, something happened that night that made me feel very uneasy. So what's it? Because you do believe in this stuff, right? You're not, it's not your sort of, I know it is a brand, but you do believe in this stuff. You you have had ghostly encounters. It's not, it's not a ruse. Oh God, no. And when we first started, I was how should we say, um, open-minded, but scared to death. And like, I need to see something. You, know, you started just literally with Carl going to places that were supposedly haunted with a camera crew. I imagine in your shoes thinking this will be a bit of a laugh. 
no idea what will happen not too worried about ghosts when I first, yeah when we first started but at the same time shitting myself yeah I would be shitting myself yeah, you yeah. know like in the you know when you I remember the first place we ever went to was Michelin Priory that's where we shot the pilot and oh, I can't remember his surname now but the, the curator at the time Chris very lovely guy very serious chap knew his stuff knew his history you know he got the job for a reason he's looking after this Priory and we're interviewing him and he's telling us about these things that are happening in the apartment where he lives. Like he wake up and like the, the, the table, you know, he's heard the furniture moving all night. And he'll come in the, in that room in the morning. And he said, there's track marks of a figure eight where the wheels of the sideboard have been moving all on their own and loads of other stories. And he said, I'm telling you now, this place is absolutely riddled with ghosts. You're going to have a great night. Weirdly enough, I was absolutely terrified and not that much happened, but I was frightened of like, oh my God, oh my God. Um, and then we went on the next the next series, uh, the next episode, I think it was the Theatre Royal Drury Lane. Now that's when I saw my first apparition and it was three of us. And one of them was a parapsychologist and he was very sceptical about things. And the other was a cameraman. And Carl said, look, he said, I've got a, I've got my night vision camera here. Let me get a shot of the three of you walking away from camera in night vision, he said, because it'll be a useful thing. Mm -hmm. We're on the way to the loo, all of us. And as we're walking along the top floor of Theatre Royal Drury Lane, there's a grand staircase that comes up to meet it. And we all stood just about to go down the stairs. And I, honestly, Cali, these legs were walking in slow motion up the stairs but there was no body attached to it. You've just made me have a chill down my spine. Oh, good. And, and the legs had what I call Dick Turpin boots. So they were like black old fashioned boots right coming up to the top. Well, the camera was too far back. It would never have, couldn't, just wouldn't have seen it. And we just, the three of us, including the parapsychologist, never said a word. We just went, <laughs> turned and ran because we couldn't, understand what we were seeing and you'd all seen it you'd all seen we'd, the same three thing three of us had seen yeah. the same thing Carl was too far back he, he didn't see it but he saw our reactions now there was a um a designer um they I, I think Prince Edward or something Prince Edward Trust or something was having the uh interior of the theatre all redecorated and they were taking some they had a photographer and he'd come to take a photograph of the staircase and he said I took a shot in one second and then I took another shot near a second and he he gave us the photographs and you can clearly see it on the show up the staircase on the first shot there's nothing there a second later you see a man with over the knee boots walking away from the camera with his hand on the banister he's wearing a white billowy shirt and he's got like a, a ponytail with a black bow in the back sounds like a new romantic from when we were teenagers yeah, yeah or but they did dress like that, yeah. you know, uh, many, many hundreds of years ago. And allegedly, I mean, we were blown away by this. And allegedly there is the ghost of one of the most famous ghosts in theatre land is, is the ghost of the grey man. And he's been seen so many times in this theatre. And I believe that's what we saw. We saw his legs. But that was the first time for me. And I always say seeing is believing. We're asked to believe in things, religion, whatever. Um, I suppose a different faith, really, but believe in God, believe in this as being kids in this bearded man that sits in a chair and says, you won't do this and you won't do that. And you should, should do this. And we're asked to believe in it. And we do as we grow up. A lot of kids grow up. And then we question it. Seeing is believing until you actually see or feel or, you know, experience something. How can you possibly believe in it? So up until that moment, I wasn't sure what I believed in. I also believed that when we die that's it there's nothing that's what i i believed mm -hmm. don't be silly that's it and my god did most haunted change my whole life it changed my belief has it made you I, less scared to die oh i can't fucking wait really? I'm not don't kidding. do it now not till we finish this oh, no. although what no. a coup <laughs> we get yeah. the most listeners ever <laughs> you would wouldn't you <laughs> you cark it on my podcast um no but honestly <laughs> i am not at all frightened of death one bit after doing 20 years of this I know 100% myself personally that there is life after death um and it it it's it changed my life and the way that I look at life uh, I'm not religious but I do know that there is 
something much bigger than we can even begin to comprehend um that's far bigger than 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 we know or understand about but i've been in communication with many uh, spirits now on the other side that that's given us the most incredible information about the other side and what it's like and also what it's like to die the feeling of death and what happens to you people that go over in sudden accidents like car crashes and what happens to them and and they've explained all this to us and it's just I've been in tears over it going oh my god this is amazing you know so yeah it has changed my life and and, and I'm better for it you know in what way better for it? I'm just happier. Mm -hmm. I, I'm so happy and so, oh God, I look at everything differently. I look at the trees, I look at the leaves, I look at the veins on a, on a leaf and I'm looking, you know, every blade of grass and just thinking it's the most amazing thing in the whole wide world and how lucky we are to be where we are. But so you're quite mindful, you're taking in every bit of oh. your data, so you're quite in the present moment, oh, which is a lovely a very place spiritual. to be. Yeah, yes. very spiritual. I, lo I love to try and meditate and and try and um and I don't know just I, I want to share with so many people the experiences that we've had so going back to the beginning so when people were saying oh most of the ones are fake so Carl came up with the idea of well hang on a minute if you think it's fake then why don't you join so we started Most Haunted Experience where people can go all over the country, choose all these different locations and they can join me and the Most Haunted team and spend the night with us. And it's fantastic. We've had members of the police force come along. We've had majors and colonels from the army and all these people come in and they're absolutely shitting themselves. And it's great because I've got such an <laughs> awful sense of humour. I'm peeing myself laughing watching these grown men that have fought for our country shaking like a shitting dog in some sort of prison cell with a ghost you know a door's just slammed or the, their footsteps or something and it's it's fantastic and they come away we've been doing it for eight years now and they come away and they go oh my god you've really made me think and that that's it that's all I want I yeah just you've want... changed the yeah you've, you've opened yeah. your mind to the possibility and what do you say to someone then to someone who like me is is skeptical um, what do you I know you say seeing is believing and you were skeptical or at least you were ambivalent about it till you saw yeah. something. so what would you say to me or anyone listening if we're going oh, I don't know about all this is there how because you must hear this all the time you must be sick I always, of being asked. Yeah. no no I always say come along it's like I was talking to um, a, a journalist and she I, I actually said come to my house so she came to the house and we get this thing and it's and if, if you know anything about the world of the paranormal, you'll know that a lot of paranormal cases, haunted house cases, um, they'll always have phenomena of this thing called knocking and tapping. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very common, isn't it? And that's often in your in your shows. That's the that's sort of right. bit that comes through consistently. Yeah. yeah. And so um, and it's great because you can you can hear it in the walls, but at the same time, you can feel it under your feet, which is in, just incredible. Anyway, so I said to this journalist come along and if you have a look you'll you'll see the you'll see her write up online and she was in tears because her mum came through and she was at I said to her said you need to ask specific questions that only she will know the answer to it's no good asking generic things because mm -hmm. you could say and I said you need to look at <clears throat> me and Carl's feet you need to make sure that there's nothing under the table so she did all of that and she just had the most incredible conversation with her mother and she said, I feel I can go on. I feel I can get on with my life now. I feel at peace. And that's what it's about. Mm. If you can make somebody feel happier or <clears throat> give them the proof that their loved one hasn't gone, their loved ones are with, they're with you all the time. And well, anything that makes people feel happier yes. or more settled in this life, I am an absolute believer in. Yeah. So that I absolutely real. agree with. As long as it's real. If it's yeah. fake, yeah, yeah. that's awful. But it's real. And, and that's what I say to people like yourself. Come and join me. And I say to scientists, journalists, anyone, please come and see. It's real. We're not faking it. It's not messing around. It's this is real stuff. And I get very, very frustrated. Sorry, I get very passionate about it. I get very frustrated because science doesn't take this seriously. Have you had it's any? Because you must invite scientists to come and yeah. because yeah, you, you feel there's nothing to hide. Why not invite a scientist to be someone who'd come with you? Yeah, no, no, nothing. So just see it as beneath their, you know, yeah, yeah beneath the pay grade to even bother yeah. to come and have a look. Because they can't explain it. Yeah. And this is what annoys me. And I say, right, well, we need an audio 
somebody that understands sound because what is making that knocking yeah, noise yeah how is it being produced um i i've spoken to them and i say to them you know i'll point to a letter in the alphabet tap out you know your messages and so on and i said are you is, are you talking to us is this what we're hearing and we're hearing it as this knocking and they said yes so how does that work almost like a sort of ghostly morse code yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it's but it is wonderful and it's very very comforting and we've personally helped which I love doing people that have lost loved ones in tragic circumstances suicide murder um awful awful tragic circumstances and through friends and so on and people that have heard about what we do we invite them to the house and they come over and we sit down and we meditate and then we ask and then the knocking starts bang 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 and I'll say is such and such a body here yes and then I'll say right you ask away and they'll ask away and they'll have the piece of paper and they'll have the then they'll ask all sorts of questions and they'll get the answers that they're looking for just ridiculous even things like what was the song one of them was what was the song we were playing we were playing on the radio when the car crashed and this lady died and she, she spelt out Ollie Murs. I mean, it, it just, yeah, it, it's fantastic. And I'm, I'm so blessed to be a part of it and also to be able to help people realise that and they don't feel that they don't feel the pain, that their souls leave before the impact. Before the pain. And what's the most, you've obviously, it's obviously literally opened your mind and changed everything for you. I guess once you first were the person who saw with your own eyes, the things that you, you, know, you experienced. Yeah. And of all the many, many things you've seen and been involved in, what, what's been the sort of most impactful? I mean, I know that first one you said at, 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 in, on Drury Lane at the theatre, but if you had to pick one where you're like, that sort of just blew me away. I suppose uh, there's so many, there's so, so many, but I suppose the thing that really frightened, I resigned live on air. And for those of you who are interested, um, I actually, you can still see it on YouTube. And it was when we did the live show for, that was the Bulldog, by the way. I believe you. <laughs> I'm going to show you. Yeah, like I say, the builders are in. Okay. Oh, what a lovely dog. Oh, my goodness. Just having that dog would make me feel happier. Ah, uh, well, I've used him in my books. Oh, oh yeah, because you've got a book. Yeah, Boris the Bulldog. Boris the Bulldog. Nothing to do with Boris Johnson, I hope. Nothing. Oh, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, um, yes, yeah, so it was, we were fortunate because we were doing live shows across uh, the States and we were doing um, uh, this live show uh, across the UK for Halloween and it was the Edinburgh Vaults. And we were told by the curators um, that that members of the public who were doing uh, tours down in the vaults, specifically in this room where there were ancient stones that were actually placed in a circle, allegedly um, witches and a coven were there during, you know, during the, like, the, the 1300s or whatever. And people were going round and then they were complaining and saying to the curators, I've got scratches on my arms, on my face, on my neck. Where the hell have these come from? I'm freaked out. We thought, well, I did. Oh, that sounds like somewhere we need to go. Anyway, we had all these cameras all around. You know how TV works. We had all these cameras, different angles, all around us in this one room with a stone circle. And they were transmitting across the, to the States, the United States. The handheld cameras would, were, were transmitting to across the UK. Now, Stuart, one of the cameramen, is stood slightly in front of one of the US cameras. And he's got a black leather jacket on. And the curator had said, whatever you do, don't walk in the centre of the circle and don't be disrespectful. So what do Carl and Stuart and the sound guy do while we were setting up? They walk in the centre of the circle and F in this and F in that, you piece of da, 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 da. Anyway, I'm calling out. Stuart stood in front of the camera. All of a sudden, he's screaming, my back, my back, it's burning, it's burning. Take my jacket off, Yvette. So I pull his jacket off and through his white T-shirt, you see blood starting to come out. We take his what his t-shirt off, and he's got three massive scratches from the top of his uh, right shoulder blade right down to the top of his left buttock, and he still has the scars today. And is that but, on? You said there's some. Is that you? You said there's something. It's on that, you. Yeah, it's on, on YouTube. YouTube. You don't see the whole thing because he's just. But he's the there. And yeah. you, the thing that I always say is he's not moved. He hasn't moved from the moment we went on air 
to there, you don't see anybody coming into shop with a, you know, three-pointed knife yeah. or take his jacket off. It is it, it's, it's there. So that happened. Then I was in a mess. And then Carl went, ah, my neck. And he had three scratches on the back of his neck that were bleeding. And the worst one was John Gilbert, lovely guy. He keeled over um, because his leg was cut from his ankle up, up on the side from his ankle halfway up towards his knee. But the cut was so deep you could see the bone. Oh my god! It's like a, it's like Wolverine gone wrong. Yeah, and that's where I lost it because for the first time, I realised. I, I well, I thought, what the hell are we dealing with here? This 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 isn't this isn't right. This is this is this is horrible. The dark um, side, yeah, yeah. And so I resigned live on air. I resigned properly, and I took a couple of weeks off. And I was inundated. You can't resign. You can't resign. Please, yeah, please. Because a massive, you were, it was, I mean, it really did capture hearts, didn't it? it? From the did, beginning, it? Yeah. a massive, massive thing. Yeah. And so I came back. But what I did was, it's the Biddy Baxter in me, the steel, balls of steel. I then decided to write you bastards. I'm going to find out what this bloody phenomena is. So I yeah. did. So I did all the research and I didn't realise how prolific this type of phenomena is so if you look at all the original cases of the exorcist which, which is actually a little boy not a little girl he had the same thing cuts really? all over his body in and some of them made words um annalise mckell very famous case where she sadly died in the end because catholic church took over and were trying to exorcise her and so on and she died of malnutrition but she was actually talking in an ancient language that none of these, you know, experts in ancient languages could work out how on earth this young girl would understand it. And again, she had the scratches on her body. She had all of it. So I was looking up these cases and thinking, OK, this goes hand in hand with paranormal phenomena now. So now it doesn't scare me at all. Now I'm intrigued. Now I'm like, right, well, come on, then do your worst. <laughs> I think if I saw if I saw gashes appearing, especially on my loved one, on the back of that's probably the most scratches he's had on the back of his neck since your wedding night, Yvette. So (laughs) Oh wouldn't be so sure, love. Oh (laughs) now we're talking. covered some amazing moments in your life already but if you were to pick then what what would you pick as your namaste motherfucking life-changing moments (laughs) um my namaste motherfucker moment would have to be oh oh gosh it's just so many apart from the obvious which is getting married to carl having my babies it has to be the moment that Carl and I came up with the idea of Most Haunted, because that changed our lives, not only, you know, uh, in our careers, but also spiritually. And I think that to me is the most important thing. And I, if Most Haunted, you know, if we stop filming Most Haunted, because we still film it, we have our own YouTube channel and we love doing it. It's not for the TV. We just love doing it so much. We get such a kick out of it. And if we can help people that have lost loved ones connect with them, then that's all, that's what it's about, isn't it? That's what it's about, you know, and that's, I will be, I'd love to, to like say doing more meditation and, and, and becoming even more spiritual so that I can help more people. That's what I want to do, you know, when I'm in my sixties and seventies, you know, cause I certainly won't be walking around a haunted house with a night vision camera by then. I'll be on the walking frame. I've got to stop sometime. GoPro on your Zimmer frame. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm undertaking not to need a Zimmer frame for at least another 40 years. So you need to join me in that undertaking. Oh, well, we well, are... we're, well, we're balanced, aren't we? We're in tune with each other. Yeah, so that'll be the case. I make my packs to you now. And what's your favourite joke, Yvette? Oh, my favourite joke. Oh, my God. Oh, it's the very rude one where the where the guy comes in. You've heard this, good grief, woman! When the guy comes in and says, "I've I've invented an apple to taste like different flavors," you know that one, don't I you? Don't. Oh, he says comes in and he says to to this uh, head of a manufacturing company, "I've made this apple taste like different flavors." She says, "No, you haven't. That's not possible." He says, "Go on, taste it." So the the guy tastes it. He goes, "Strawberry." He says, "Yeah, turn it round, turn it round." I got grapes. He says, yeah, turn it round, turn it round. 
this is incredible. And he puts it down on the desk. He says, but if you can make this taste like a woman's fanny, he said, I'm telling you now. He said, this will, we'll make billions. Come back when you've done that. Okay. Anyway, a year goes by and he goes back to the same manufacturer and he opens a door and he walks in with the apple and he plonks it down on his desk. And the guy says, you haven't. He says, I have. He says, you haven't. He says, I have. Go on, pick it up and taste it. So the guy goes, oh, 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 bottom and vagina gags outrageous <laughs> disgraceful i need to burn my blue peter badge right now <laughs> yeah <laughs> biddy baxter will be turning in her grave because that's she's you... not dead yet oh, no, she's not right to edit that out i assume she was right mike producer <laughs> this is all right he's dead and biddy baxter should be turning in her grave she's not dead <laughs> This is why they don't get me to do this live event. I'd be cancelled in about half oh, an hour. Oh, funny. <laughs> funny, funny, funny. See, my joke was so funnier much. than yours. And what's your um, what's your what bit of life advice apart from do your research, Callie, on producers before you get anyone who's been a presenter on? What would, <laughs> uh, if you were to give one bit of life advice to anybody listening, Yvette, What would it be? Oh gosh, seeing is believing. Don't don't poo-poo anything until you've experienced whatever it is you're poo-pooing. That was Yvette Fielding and I hope you're feeling suitably spooked. And that is it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Please do remember to rate, review and recommend us. And we will be back in your feed next Thursday, as always, when I will be talking to sexual health and pleasure expert, Samantha Evans. But to actually sit with Davina and talk about vaginal dryness, to be sitting there rubbing lube on our hands. Namaste Motherfuckers was written and presented by me, Callie Beaton, and produced by Mike Hansen for Pod People Productions, with music by Jake Yap. I'm Callie Beaton. Until next time, motherfuckers. Namaste Motherfuckers.